I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Mac. He was born a double amputee. Let's talk about it. This is so funny. So, all right. So just for context, we are sitting here uh, with our new friend, Mac. Uh, Mac, you're in, uh, where are you right now? Uh, I'm currently on the road in Alberta in a small town called Fort McLeod. Fort McLeod. And, and you said you're on the road. Literally, you are driving a car. And we were just talking about the car that you were driving, which seemingly is a soundproofed <laughs> drag race fucking recording studio. recording studio that can go over 230 kilometers per hour. Yeah. Listen, Mac. I don't want to get off. I don't want to get off on the wrong foot here. But your car is so fucking annoying to be outside of that you soundproofed the inside of it. You're one of those dicks that drives down the road, and I'm like, why the fuck does anybody own a car that loud? It would suck to be inside. You know what? Yeah, here you are, and you've solved that problem because you've soundproofed the inside. So it's fine for you. Yeah, and you know what? I gotta say, this this takes the cake for the most unique recording setup. That we've ever come across over the last six years of doing this podcast. Uh, Mac, uh, take a moment to introduce yourself to our our listeners and uh, give them a little bit of a heads up as to why it is that we are uh, sitting here talking to you today while you are inside your car. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm Mac Adams. I'm from a small town out in BC. I'm a double leg amputee, you know, just your generic born, started from the womb, messed up. I'm going to end up messed up long term, but living it out, so... (laughs) <laughs> I just live life day by day, you know. I saw you guys' podcast, reached out, and thought I had a story to share. I mean, mental health is huge for me. Having no legs is, you know, kind of obvious what my disability is. You can't really hide it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So you, so you were. Is there was there like a name for like a, a technical name for what sort of like what happened to you or, or how you ended up where you are with you know living life with no legs. They've tried to track it down, but they've had no success. It was just one of those freak of nature things where you could give birth a thousand times and it would happen once type of thing, you know? I'm not sure if that's the actual numbers or not, but. And when you were born, was it uh, like, what are we talking about in terms of not having legs? Like, is it straight up to the straight up to the waist or, or do you have like, do you have little, little stumps like on, on both sides or is it, is it equal, equal each side? So I'm bilateral, so I'm above and below knee. So I have one leg that's amputated just below the knee and one leg that's amputated just above the knee. So I have one real leg, one prosthetic um, knee. Right, cool. okay. So it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and like at birth, was there, like when you came out, they were like, yep, this, this is Mac. And Mac just doesn't have legs. We don't have to do anything. Or did they, was there like surgery involved to, to kind of make things easier for you in, in, the, in, the, in the long run? A lot of surgeries, man. Uh, came out. I, I did have toes and stuff, but I had tibia, like, didn't grow and fibula didn't grow. 
Okay. So they rolled back. You've seen the Wizard of Oz when the house falls on the witch. Yeah. My feet did the same thing. They curled up. So they made an executive decision with my mom that amputation would be the way to go. If not, it'd be a wheelchair for life. And mom didn't see that being the quality of life I should have to lead. So she took the hardest decision she'd have to make. And now I have mm-hmm. what I've got. Mm-hmm. So they did. Uh, so they did. Like so, what you've got, what you've got below the waist, or your legs, how they are now, they were made that way from sur- from surgery. Like you had issues when yep. you when you were born, and then they and then you had surgery that gives you. Sorry, you said one is you said one is above the knee and one is below the knee. Yeah. So it's like I have a knee I can kick and stuff with. Like when I'm playing mm-hmm. hockey, I can push off the right and left because I'm a goalie. Mm-hmm. So it gives me the chance to push right, push left, um, and all that stuff. But <laughs> I thought you were gonna say. Side. I thought you were gonna say playing hockey. You were kicking people, and I was like, "Wait, that's not. That's, that's not a part of the sport. Play, that's yeah. how you hockey. played hockey. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. I <laughs> that's how your. That's how your brother played hockey. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I so, promise you, I would pull it. I would pull the excuse. <laughs> I can't feel it. Sorry, man. Promise <laughs> 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 that would be the excuse I pull. <laughs> how far? How how far did that get with the referees? <laughs> I tried to make you know, a lot of excuses too when I was when I was coming up. It never seemed to work very well. Yeah. But do you want to be the guy who's like no to the handicap guy? Like, do you want to be that guy? <laughs> so you like so you like pulling the card? You're yeah. you're a, you're a card puller. If I have to be, you know, like of I don't want to be, but like situationally, I'm smart with it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Right. Spe- speaking of card pullers, you're in your car right now. Do you have a Do you have the handicap placard? Uh, free parking, man. Walmart. Nice. <laughs> now, nice. how how useful is that? Well, it's always yeah, nice to see in wintertime. Like, wintertime, yeah. you know, you see those moms shopping for Christmas stuff, eating shit in the driveway, just slamming faces and stuff. Kids are sliding. <laughs> You're parking in the front like, ha-ha. I'm a That's Deborah. <laughs> on Deborah on her way to rendezvous with Karen. So, Mac, going back to your, to the early days of life, um, uh, the the surgery that you had for to complete the amputation was that a one and done deal or is this the kind of thing like did you have to go back in for multiple surgeries over the years as you grew into your body? Uh, I would have started so it was a bunch of surgeries but they were just all different levels. Some were growth plate removals, growth plate grinding. Um, some were extremely fast, you know, in and out, half hour, hour long. Some were seven, six hours in. You know, what is, what's, a, what's a growth plate removal? What, what are growth plates? So like when your leg is growing out, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it here. So your leg grows out and stuff. It's the plate that separates the knee cartilage almost. I think it's what they described it as. So they go oh, in and they actually yeah. remove that. So as I'm growing, my legs will meet up with each other. It won't be lopsided from the surgeries. Mm. They serve a function. Um, they serve the, they serve or like I have, and I'm totally butchering probably a, an understanding that I have of growth plates from like a, like probably a decade and a half ago. Oh, this I, is, I found like, it here. They're 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 like what serve the purpose of like helping you grow into this like the bones that you have. Is that what growing pains come from? Probably interesting. Yeah, growth plates oh, are the are the areas terrible. of new grow uh, new bone growth in children and teens. They're made up of cartilage, a rubbery, flexible material. Uh, the nose, for instance, is made of cartilage. Most growth plates are near the ends of long bones. Long bones are bones that are longer than they are wide. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder if that's what, because uh, in my knees I had, uh, it was called like Osgood's, Osgood's Schlatter's um, 
something. Anyway, it's like this extra bump, but yeah. I remember being told that it was from like growth plates doing something. Te- yeah, tectonic. <laughs> there was like an earthquake in your knee. <laughs> and the tecton- the, the- Osgood Schlatter disease is a condition that causes pain and swelling below the knee joint where the patellar tendon uh, attaches to the top of the Dude, shin we're bone. We're just a bunch of scientists. I mean, you know, I, I, got, I, got, I, got the, I got the whole world at my fingertips here, really, with <laughs> Google. Google. Thank what God up. for Google. Um, uh, Mac, I mean, we're, how old are you now? You're, 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 you're a young buck, right? 21, yeah. I turned 21 there in March, so. Sweet. Now you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. That's amazing. Except rent um, cars, which uh, sucks because you got to be right. 25. Yeah, right, right. I guess, <laughs> that's, I guess. The, that's the last that's great, the last one. That's the last <laughs> great goal to achieve. Yeah. Car um, I, don't, I don't get that either. Like, that just baffles me. I drive better than most people I know in my own hometown, and they're like, yeah, you can't rent a car. <laughs> Arbitrary <laughs> maturity. <laughs> I, that's yeah. interesting because it doesn't really, being a good driver doesn't really fit the stereotype of the type of person who owns the car that you do. But <laughs> <laughs> stereotype. <laughs> I emphasize I stereotype. You might be a skilled driver, <laughs> but uh, driving, if you're driving over the, well over the speed limit, that can uh, be pretty Yeah, dangerous. but you know, like F1, F1, <laughs> F1, like F1 drivers, they're pay, good drivers. Pay, they yeah. pay more in insurance, though. Yeah. <laughs> do they actually? Oh, oh for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. More I believe more it 100%. Yeah. You pay more insurance for having a red car over a <laughs> white right. car. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's insane. When they account into your profession that you like to go 320 kilometers yeah. an hour. <laughs> um, so, you, so you had these growth plate um, uh, surgeries and, and at what point did you around at what age were you that, that the surgeries started to kind of peter out and, and you, you, you kind of like may, you know, you were within your final form. I'd say probably around eight or nine years old was when it started to really die down. You know, the problems started to negate themselves. Uh, I've had a few here and there since then with just cosmetic work, you know, trying to make quality of life, whatever it can be. But yeah, about eight or nine, I'd say, was when they really took their final turn and said, all right, you're on the final leg of the race. No pun intended. Go for it. <laughs> right. And what, what was... <laughs> What was like, uh, what was, what was growing up like, uh, what was growing up like for you in terms of like, um, you know, your, like your, your experience at school, like in, you know, in your community that you grew up in, like, was there, was there stigma, was there a, a stigma around, I guess you're a little younger than us. So I feel like times are a little bit different or the, as, as we, as the younger people are now, people get, uh, you know, pe- people experience hopefully less of that shit when they're dealing with something. Um, but what was that like for you? Was there stigma and shit in the community that you had to deal with? Oh, we might have possibly lost him. One week later. Okay, so we are back, and uh, and Mac is now in a stable location. And uh, reload. It's it's been about about a week. Uh, so I, I think I remember where we were uh, when we left off, Taylor. I think you said something about um, challenges socially. Yeah, yeah, challenges uh, like coming up in school. Um, uh, you know you know, what kind of like stigma, uh, and shit like that, like bullshit that you might have encountered in your, mm. uh, in your early years, um, growing up with, um, you know, with being an amputee. Yeah. I mean, like there's always those things that happen where it's, everyone has a hard time with something. Right. And they picked on for it. And whether it's people who are good at reading and others who aren't, for me, it was a lot of that stigma of, Oh, he has no legs. We have to like play down to the lowest denominator just to meet his levels. Mm. And for me, that was a lot more fire in my belly type of thing to get better at things just because I was tired of being played down to. And I could play up to them. You know what I mean? 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think I remember before we before we um got cut off uh when we were speaking before you 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 know you mentioned that you were from a really small town and that you know there's not very many people um there like you know relative to a you know to a, like a city or something like that. So um that you felt like that played an influence in in you know your experience. Yeah, there's 3,000 people just <laughs> under here, right? And every time like you do something, everyone in town knows you did it before you do type of thing. That's how yeah. it goes. Like you can go outside at 7 a.m. and your mom will know at 8 a.m. where you were exactly and if you screwed up, right? So there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of things that go around the town and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And that's just one of the things where being an amputee in a small town, there was the good, there was the bad. I mean, mm. I brought it on myself too. Sometimes with my attitude, like it's just the stigma, right? Like mm. I was a male, mental health problems, depression, stuff like that. You know, I didn't talk about it. I couldn't back then because even six seven years ago it wasn't being talked about right like it just wasn't there yeah mm. yeah i mean and that's something that uh, you know we're talking about at length this month considering that it's uh, uh november and yeah. you know men's health is such a such a prominent part of the conversations that we've been having in the campaign that we've been running um and i i really want to get into the mental health side of things but before we do um can we rewind just a little bit because I'm, re- I'm really curious about the the like the logistics of growing up as a kid um, and like the stages of growing up as a kid with no legs specifically like um, um, how you, how you moved about the world. So, you know, I, I take it as a baby. It's like easy. You just let the baby, you know, do what most babies do, which is they learn to, roll around first and then, and then sort of like drag themselves around and, and then crawl. Um, but like, were as a baby, like, were you a crawling baby? Did was crawling? I, I suppose I can't see why a baby with no legs couldn't crawl. Um, and then like, as you sort of transitioned into the normal, like the, 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 the transitions that children typically go through, which is like learning how to walk and those sorts of things. What did that look like for you as, as, as a human that didn't have legs? Yeah, so I mean, crawling was normal. I'm pretty sure I don't remember much of it. You know, party hard. It was the uh, it was the milk hangovers for me that really screwed me up there. But uh, <laughs> a lot of it really was that transition went from crawling around to having prosthetics put on on the um, freshly amputated legs, and I was walking pretty early. You know, I had a walker and stuff. I was going around the hospital. Like, I was probably I don't know. I think mom said I was like 11 months old when I was walking on prosthetics, and by like 13 Whoa. months, I was starting to pick up speed. Like. Whoa. And do you know what the, like what these prosthetics, um, like what they looked like at, at that time when you were 11 months old? Yeah, they were legendary, man. They had Winnie the Pooh on them, you know, girls would see them and be like, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to be with, you know, <laughs> like, Winnie the Pooh, like together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> down with the Pooh. Yeah. Down with the Pooh, right? hundred percent. But, um, no, I mean, they were pretty basic, solid, like had little feet on the bottom. They were straight. There was no bend in them. So I yeah. waddled. Just to try and, like, replicate, like, learning to walk, right, on prosthetics and stuff, and then replicate walking. Like, a baby doesn't go running when he first starts, he waddles, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. at what point do you do you transition from, or, or, or at, if there is a point, do you transition from straight-legged prosthetics to prosthetics that have some sort of joint hinge? Because, again, just to remind listeners and myself, because it's been a week since we've spoken to you, um, you were you were amputated above the knee, right? On both legs af- after everything one, was said and done? One on one, right? 
one. Yeah, yeah I was, I'm bilateral, so I have one one above knee and one below knee. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So the knee joint was kind of a blessing in a way because it was easy for me to imitate movement, right? As my right leg would go out, I'd time one, two. Okay, it's down. Then my left leg would go, I'd go one, two. Okay, that leg is down. I'd learn to bend my leg at the same rate of speed, right? Mm, right. That's so interesting because I... I I haven't, I've never really thought of this, but like, obviously you can't feel your foot hitting the ground. So right. like timing it, I, I guess time it is the only way that you can figure out like when it's actually making contact. Timing. And a lot of it is like body, like body feeling, you know, like you feel like your hips and stuff where they're aligned to your back and you feel you, like these little things. It's hard to explain if you don't, if you don't have prosthetics you know what i mean you, you know I, I, you'd feel it somewhere up the chain like you wouldn't feel it at the foot yeah, but yeah. you'd feel it where like yeah. you, you probably you have a sensation around you know wherever the prosthetic is attached there's a yeah there's like some sort of impact feeling of impact Ooh. felt when you start to put weight down on that on on that part where there's a t- where the attachment point is or in the hip yeah it's a, a little bit of give you know it's got a little bit of give and as you push like thump it you can feel it slide and hit slide and hit slide and hit you know yeah I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't really imagine what it would feel like other than thinking of like, I got a VR headset, uh, a couple weeks ago now. And, and the first week it was like weird, sort of like getting your bearings in the virtual world. But now like after probably like 10 or 12 hours of being in VR, I feel like, I feel like. I feel weird outside of VR. You know what, Brian? I think now I know you're just obsessed with VR. So I know you're trying to make those relationships. I think maybe a more accurate comparison would be the stilts that you used as a kid. Yeah, I mean both of them work. Because like They're you had because analogies. you had to get you, you get on the you get on the stilts and then I'll, and like and you're like, "Oh fuck, this is fucking weird." You know, like my feet aren't on the ground. They're attached to this stilt. Like a stilt, I guess, is like it's a prosthetic. Sort of like a, it's a yeah, prosthetic. Really. It's making you taller. It's yeah. serving some function of like making you taller than you actually are yeah. and doing this thing and blah, 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 blah. And you've <laughs> got to get used to the way that that feels when the when the bottom of the of the stilt hits the ground and how mm-hmm. that feels on your feet and you balance and everything. Mac, do you remember like growing, growing up, was it weird switching between prosthet- prosthetics? Because I imagine that like as you grow the feeling becomes a little bit different. Like as you get a little bit taller mm. and bigger, it probably like either you, sh- you have to shift to a new prosthetic or the, the one that you're using might start to feel different. Did, did, do you resonate with that experience at all? There's yeah, there's some things there that really threw me off. Like I get taller and my feet would stay the same size. So like this tall torso on size seven feet would be like shifting my weight forward and back a lot. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really fine line of like, getting it figured out to a science like size of foot size of leg size of torso there's a really fine science to it and stuff and i could feel like if i change legs i could take me like two or three days to get used to it again and then like i could be out running playing basketball you know Mm, and you were you were a pretty active kid right i mean i watched um uh when when i went through your application to come on the show you had you'd included this video and it was you like fucking shredding it up on the basketball court with like those, those crazy um, sort of like uh, curved blade legs, blade legs, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, like you were, you, I, I, I take it you didn't let your disability stop you from really doing whatever the fuck you wanted to do when it came to physical activity. I mean, it wasn't so much the physical disability, right? It was like that mental blockage with the mental health that really stopped me from getting out there earlier. I mean, I feel like I definitely could have went farther in most sports if I would have just look back and said, okay, you know what? Time to do it. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And hindsight's twenty twenty. Like 
if I'm being totally honest with you guys, like the physical disability, yeah, that was hard, but I think the hardest one was mental. Like yeah. the depression and stuff. That was the hardest thing to overcome in my lifetime. And wh- wh- when did that start to, when did that start to take shape? I, I, like when did you, when, at what age were you able to, to kind of look at that element of the disability, the mental side of it and make sense of it all and, and, and actually tell like, Oh wow, I I'm, mm. I'm depressed. About nine or 10 years old, I'd say I was like, really like, okay, hey, like this isn't right. Like, I shouldn't be sad every single day. Like mm. I didn't know really what it was at the time because again, we didn't talk about as open as we do now in society. Um, it was a lot of, wow. Like, I don't know why I'm always sad. And I brought up my mom and stuff and, you know, she's always just like a hard time in school being a small town, different kid. Right. Um, and then it just kept progressing and progressing and stuff. And really the kicker was, I was about 14, 15 range. And it just absolutely just, that was the full kicker. Like, that's when I'm like, okay, this is depression. Like this is it. I, mm-hmm. I was listening to a, uh, I was listening to a, uh, I was going to ask a similar sort of question, but it kind of fits in with just like the, the narrative of like, when you, when you start to think this and realize this, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about like the first uh, like re- trying to remember the first time that you like realize that you are like a person in the world mm. and that you're, you know, like, uh, because when you're, you don't really have those like thoughts of self until a certain time where you feel like you are a piece of the puzzle that like fits into, you know, a community and mm. people around you and stuff. And like before that, it's all very like abstract and everything is just like happening around you. And you're sort of like, a part of everything and you're not separate from it. And then you're talking about like the moment that you like turn on. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. The moment. And they really, and they, and they kind of, yeah. they kind of put it in this like eight to 12 age range, like depending on who you are and depending on you, it sort of happens at a different point. And that that is a significant shift for everybody of realizing like, Oh, that's me in the mirror. And I'm, I'm this way or I, and I'm maybe different for this reason or that reason or, you know, like, so like, it sounds like that sort of moment. I, I was, I was curious. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because I was curious of if that happened sooner for you because of the situation with your legs and, and there being such like a, uh, you know, a clear physical difference between you and the people around you rather than like it being a, uh, rather than it being like a, uh, you know, I'm different because I think differently or I'm interested in different things or blah, 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 whatever, whatever those things are like when, at what age, at what age do you think that you had that thought in terms of like, Hey, I have this, I have this thing that's, you know, I'm looking around the classroom and maybe nobody else has this, has uh, nobody else is dealing with this thing that I've got. What the fuck's up with that? Yeah, I mean, seven or eight years old, I was say, when that happened. And that was a lot of part to, like, I was going to war seminars and stuff back then, like, seeing other kids with disabilities to try and get me more involved in that community just because we were trying to do everything we could to stop something like depression from happening, right? And, like, I love those seminars. Don't get me wrong. They're amazing and stuff, and I'd love to go back to them and such. But I think that's, like, sort of what made me realize, like, okay, so there's, like, 400 kids in my school. There's one guy with no legs, and that is me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the numbers aren't adding up here. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things where it just became self-aware at a super young age, just from being around the environment and then going back to another environment type of thing. 
That was something so like, that, that's something that Jer talks about, that Jer's talked about a lot in terms, well, we've had a conversation around like community in terms of like whatever it is, you know, illness, disability, amputation, whatever the fuck it is mm. that of, of, of how commute the community of people that are going through a similar thing that you are can is really a bit of a toss up as to whether it's helpful or mm. not. Um, and like, you know, like you, like you said, like you, those, those things are great, but the, you know, sometimes maybe, you know, maybe sometimes they can separate you further from your typical environment than, than, than include, than make you feel more included or, or something like that. Or just, or just, or just magnify the heaviness right. of what it is that you're going like make through. Make you feel more different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, like there, like there's something to be said about commiserating with other people and that can be very helpful and and you know th- th- that can be very um sort of relieving in a sense but but there's there's definitely something to be said for it being um an experience that can like sort of fuck you up even further you know mm-hmm. like make you feel even more different or more yeah i guess more different is like the way to put it um mac i'm wondering um i I just kind of have this idea and I'm going to try to do my best to like, uh, articulate it, but I've heard you say quite a few times now, you, you've sort of, um, mentioned that the thing that you've really struggled with is, is your mental health more than your physical disability. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes, um, we have a tendency, especially with like a physical disability, um, something like an amputation that is like a very obvious to us who were born with, all of our limbs, we look at that and we go, fuck, that must be, that must be so hard not having legs. But for you, like it's, I, I imagine that it's all you've ever known. So in one sense, it's probably, it, I mean, it is your normal. So yeah. I'm curious when you think about your mental health, do you attribute your depression and that feeling of like, um, you know, feeling sad at age 14 do you attribute that to the fact that you felt different or do you just look at that like, oh, you know, this is my normal, but like I've I got also it like have mental health, have it. you know, like I also have mental health, you know, and it's not necessarily attached to my physical disability. I'm just depressed. Yeah. Like, so a lot of, oh, yeah. sorry. No, I was just going to say, how, like, how do you view that? A lot of the stuff that came up when I was 14 and stuff was a lot of why me moments, you know, like, hmm. It was as you grow up and you see these people like they're going on dates and stuff and you know start dating and stuff like that. It was a small town and I was one of the different kids, so it wasn't always easy on me to find people to talk to or be friends with. So, a lot of the sadness and stuff that I felt came from those moments. So it was a little bit to play with my legs, a little bit to play with the environment. It's just it's a mixing pot, right? Like I'm sure if I lived in a city, it would have been different because I would have known there's more than one person who's different, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's just how it was. Right. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's hard to explain really. Like when you look back on it, cause like with that stuff, right. I've blacked out so much of it. Cause I don't want to remember how much it was, mm-hmm. but the easiest way to word it would be the legs attributed a part of it. And then it was a lot of my own head games that did the rest of the damage. You know what I mean? What, what was it that you did to, um, to mitigate that and like manage your mental health you know, you said you said that it was around fourteen where it really clicked. Like, holy fuck, I'm I'm not okay. Um, yeah. Did was there? 
what was the game plan from then on? Like, did you, did you suffer in that for quite a while before you started to manage it? That's the thing about, right? It was a buildup. So gradually from like nine, eight years old stuff, like I was sort of feeling sad then, right? Like just out of place, weird. 14 was the peak of it. And I'm just like, okay, I'm sad. Like something, something's off here. And then it just, I found a love in sports. Like I started playing basketball in the gym and stuff. And I had some kids teach me how to shoot and stuff properly. And my PE teacher at the time would do intramurals at lunch. So she opened a gym for an hour, right? So we had lunch at 12 till one o'clock. And she'd come in after five minutes and open the gym. And she'd eat her lunch in like the little office and we would shoot hoops. And one day she caught me playing and stuff. And she was like, you know, like you have potential. Like you, even though you have no legs, you can still shoot from far back. Like you're long, you're tall, right? And a lot of that little kick in the pants right there from her was, okay, so there's something to outlet myself. You know, I can start doing what other kids do. So at 14 was like the peak of sadness. And then I found a love for sports and it, the sadness went away as I started doing things normally. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Sorry, like you had this. Explain. It's like one of those things where it just, it all happened in the blink of an eye. Like it was an overnight switch in my life almost. It's weird to say, mm. but. No, it totally, it totally makes sense. It's like you, you, I mean, the biggest struggle, not to put words in your mouth, but like, it seems like the biggest struggle at that time is like, there's a difference between me and everyone else. And that difference is creating a wall. And that wall is separating me from being able to interact with the people, my peers, the people in my life in the way that I would like to, or the way that I see them interact with each other. And now you have this, you have this activity that is, you know, it's a team sport. It's something that is like, is getting you inside your own body. It's something that feels good. It's something that's challenging you probably in a way that you haven't really been challenged before in, in, in a, in a sense. And, and all of a sudden that wall starts to kind of break down and it, it almost like, normalizes your situation, takes you out of that feeling of being different because you're sharing in this activity um, with other people in your, in your, in your surrounded, like your circle. Because you're dunking on motherfuckers. Yeah. Dunking on fucking. (laughs) I mean, sport is so like, sport is so, I, I, I personally, I personally like kind of got away from, from seeing how important sport was for like many years. Cause I grew up, you know, trying to pursue a hockey career and when and and at the and and looking at like the highest levels and professional levels, like it can become pretty easy to be like, "Fuck, sport fucking sucks." Yeah, because it's like it's just you know there's politics, there's like what all the th- things that go into it. But at its core, like you said, Jer, like it's getting you into a community, like the team, the, the aspect whether it's a team sport or not. You because it always it puts you around people whether it's a team sport or not. But team sports even more so gets you working with people, gets your, so that there's like that social aspect to it that's like highly, highly beneficial. But then also just like getting your blood moving and, mm. and getting like getting a sweat going. Like when it's, a, there's, there, it's, there's a reason why, why when you talk about mental health, there's a really, there's a, there's a, the, one of the most common things that's, that's uh, recommended is that you, you know, you exercise in some way because like it just, and I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on that or why it happens. I've got like theories and stuff, but like when you exercise, there's something that happens inside you 
endorphins, dopamine, whatever, that is just like when you take it, when you do it and then you take it away, you realize how important it is. You know, like you go, oh, fuck, I don't feel so great. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. feeling a little down today. I'm feeling anxious, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. so, so when you're getting into basketball, like you, you, do you see basketball like in and of itself and all the, you know, maybe all the lines that you can draw off of what basketball gave as like, definitely. oh, this is like, this is like, this was a, this was a kind of like a turning point or a fact, big factor in that. Some of the memories I made with basketball is what brought me out of my slump as much as it did. You know, um, there are some tournaments in cities and stuff where people have never seen a guy with the legs play sports. And like the stuff they'd say to me after really sort of said, like, we're all super impressed. And like those small little moments, right? Those small little victories in my head is what it took. So I could draw lines all day long from basketball alone on what it took to get where I am today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I miss honestly. I do miss playing it though. Like you said, right? You'd step back for a bit and realize how important it was. Like I've been out of sports now for almost two years. Like all sports, just because everything's happened, right? With the world deciding it's going to end on itself, mm-hmm. and everyone's mm-hmm. sneezing and screaming at you for sneezing. So, <laughs> what, what is like, that? What, what is? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? Like, how is that? How has that impacted you upon reflection? Like, do you, have you have you noticed it? not that it has to have had happened, but do you, do you notice like a shift in, in mood or maybe like more days that aren't so great or, or whatever, having not like have really access to sport in the same way that you, that you would have before? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like if you look at like, if you were looking at me two years ago before COVID and stuff, when I was playing sports, like when you saw that video from the college and stuff that I sent you guys, if you look at me there and stuff like that, look and like that personality, 180 to what I am today and stuff. Like, there's more hard days nowadays and stuff. There's more stress. I know everyone's going through it because everyone's mm-hmm. in the same boat, like masking up, vaccine up, and stuff like that. But uh, without sports, I've definitely seen myself slip off more, and I've been off the wagon more with certain things. Like, won't do my laundry as much, won't sleep as much, won't eat as much. I'll play video games longer just to escape and play sports again, like 2K and NHL. Just to mm-hmm. replicate it, right? Just to replicate yeah. that feeling of being back on a team and being back where I feel I belong. Mm-hmm. And like my girlfriend's been huge for supporting me through it and stuff as well with it because she's she's even seen in a year, right? She's seen just fluctuations between as we lose more sports and stuff. I think when the sports come back and start playing more, I'm a different person. Like happy go lucky, nothing can touch me, skipping down the way, right? favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What, I, I'm curious, Mac, what else you've learned uh, about your mental health so far? And and I think of it, um, the question comes to me too, because I, I think of like being 14 years old, mm-hmm. you know, sort of feeling like you're you're in this depression, finding basketball, and then like, like at, at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden starting to feel better. 
um, that's amazing. But like life is fucking long <laughs> and, and you know, I'm 32 years old and I've had, uh, years in my life where I've, things have felt really great. I've had years where things have felt really shitty and it fluctuates so much. And I know that for me, um, exercising and getting enough sleep and eating well, those are things that I can do to try to help support, um, myself to feel my best. Mm-hmm. But I know that even with that being said, there's still just fucking down times. So I'm imagining that, you know, at 14 years old, you didn't just start playing basketball and everything was was fine and dandy until the start of the pandemic. Like what else has, have you learned about your mental health and, you know, how you can take care of yourself uh, over the past, you know, eight, eight to 10 years? Yeah, you know what? And that's true, right? I mean, it wasn't all great and stuff every day, but I mean, I think the biggest thing I learned about my mental health was like being on the basketball team at 14 also showed me the camaraderie between teammates, right? It showed me the brotherhood you build. And a lot of my mental health, I was lonely, right? Depression made me a lonely, isolated person. So being mm. on a team brought me out of that slump and it allowed me to make more friendships. And now, like, if you would look at my friends list on something like Snapchat, if you look at something like that in 2014, maybe like six, seven people. Yeah. Now I'm pushing probably two or 3,000. Mm, right. So it's one of those things, right? And like even Instagram, for example, back when I had in high school, I had 78 followers, 76 followers, something like that. I still remember because I was so mad. I couldn't break 100 <laughs> followers because like the big thing when I was in high school was you'd have your bio and you'd have little locks with a number beside it. So like 100 unlocked, 200 unlocked, 150. Oh, that's so unlocked. funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> I could never break 100. <laughs> and like, oh, man. You look at the difference between me being not on a team, no interaction, no social media, no connections, no anything. I go on a basketball team and then I realize, hey, you know what? There's a world outside of my sadness. Let's go explore it. Hmm. Now I think I'm up to like 2,000 followers on one of my accounts or something like that. Yeah. And I imagine even beyond like the the, the numbers of followers on, on social media accounts, just like specifically that that the the feeling of camaraderie and the brotherhood that you talk about. Mm-hmm. and being part of a team like even that is is mm. you know I, I think that that's what's incredibly valuable is those like personal connections and and as soon as you started talking about that i was thinking because like i i know that sports can be this like amazing outlet especially even just as like a stress reliever um i still play organized sport to the, to this day and and every time i get on the field to play soccer I, like i feel like if I'm feeling stressed or anxious beforehand, when I finish the game, it, it seems like it's almost gone. And so I, I love doing that. Um, but what's really nice is like sitting in the dressing room with the guys and like shooting the shit after the game or like, you know, the moments, like the rare moments when like one guy's like, Hey guys, like, you know, if I'm feeling, you know, if I'm off today, it's because I'm going through a breakup and like, you know, the guys start to support them through that. And you, you have like all of a sudden, like, in the in the place where you least expect there to be this like open, honest, vulnerable conversation take mm-hmm. place, um, it starts happening and like and and like a family, the guys are there to support you through that. So um, I can imagine what that what the <coughs> team uh, atmosphere meant for you. Yeah, like that's what we like I said earlier. Like. The one thing I like always link the followers and stuff back to really fast or just at a point I forgot about 
a short like when I started getting more followers stuff, it's because I started talking about my story more and I was sharing my story more. You know what I mean? So I was coming on my shelf. Yeah. And that's why I attribute to basketball was me coming on my shelf. So I sort of use it as like a stepping stone, like, oh, I shared this post about my mental health at 16. And it had this many shares, which means people heard my story and hopefully took something from it. And that's how I always yeah. use mm-hmm. social media, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it's, I feel like it, 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 when I hear you talk about social media in that way, it reminds me of like the, the, so, social media is such a is is a, such a spectrum where there's like there's so much horse shit about social media, <laughs> and then at the exact same time on the exact same platform that's used the exact same way, there is such like a great usage for it, and yeah. so like you know to to share to share stories to share positive messages to create <clears throat> actual connections like that in it's like social media in its infancy like that's the bright idea that social media is I mean, you know it's grown into you know such a shitstorm but like in its essence when i hear what max says about social media i go like oh man that's like that's like the utopia yeah, <laughs> of yeah, like yeah, social yeah. media's use yeah um mac you're you're 21 now what does yeah. what does life look like for you you know what's the next 5 years look like like what are you what are you doing in life what are your aspirations what are you uh what do you hope to see? Ideally right now, I mean, I like to get back to the sports more full time, you know, like find a team and stuff, get back to that. But I don't want to do it for necessarily myself. I want to do it for others to see me doing it. You know what I mean? I want to use the next five years of my life to show people that you can do it too type of thing. Because when I put the skates on to play hockey, I know some guys with no legs play sledge hockey. Other people with no legs won't even try to skate up. I'll throw the laces on and stuff and I'll go out. You know what I mean? I want to be able to show people that whatever obstacles you think you can't do, you can do. And that's why I want to dedicate my next five years of my life to doing is pushing that next level of breaking down walls and stigmas. Were there anybody, was there anybody um, in the sports world that you look to like the way that you want to be for others? Was there, was there a person or a, or a number of people that were that for you that, or, 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 or were you, did you feel like you were kind of, you know, wading into unknown waters and taking chances with, you know, like you know, sports activities and trying different things? Yeah. There's like four people right now. I name off the top of my head. who were just absolutely influential in my life, even up till today. Um, I don't know if you have to Oak Tokes, the city outside of Calgary, Alberta. One of the, higher ups on the hockey team there he owns part of the team i believe he said it was he let me come in and share my story of, like with the boys in the locker room and talk about having no legs and stuff and he was huge in the sports world for me i mean i looked up to mika kippersoff from the flames and stuff i looked up to him in every way possible because he came from the sharks and it was an underdog story and he ended up being an absolute legendary player um my gym teacher she was athletic and if it wasn't for her, honestly, I don't think I would have been here today if I'm being totally transparent just because she told me to stop moping around and play sports. Like, I've got a gift in basketball, she said, right? And that was the kick I needed. And the last one would have been Dion Phaneuf. You know, just these guys who were always, like, considered underdog people and they blew it out of the water. Mm. Awesome. What would you say is... Um, is Also, I just want to say, it, like... Dion Phaneuf fucked the Leafs over 
Okay. Okay. In, <laughs> okay. in, in such a way that I am, I, it makes me kind of sick to my stomach that you even would say his name on this fucking podcast, <laughs> but, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Um, Mac, what would you say out of everything you've experienced so far in the 21 years of your life, what would you say is the biggest thing that your disability has taken away from you? Honestly, it's been a lot of sense of, it's hard to explain almost, you know, it's one of those questions where like I could try and word it, but it's going to sound weird no matter how I put it out. Almost it's a sense of wanting to change the future, right? I see what I went through and stuff. I see how people can't always change for the better in the world. So I feel it's taken away some of my hope to see how we are progressing. Like, yeah, we're making good moves and stuff always, but there's always those people who are willing to hold it back. You know what I mean? Mm. And also, like, you guys are from Halifax, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, who's our favorite Leafs fan here? Put your hand up. I just want to make sure I see who I'm hurting. <laughs> okay. Well, out, out in Halifax, right? Have you met, uh, I think he's from Nova Scotia, something like that. I don't know. He's somewhere out there on the Eastern Coast. His name is Owen. Do you know him? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course I know Owen if from uh, yeah. the East Coast. Oh, Owen yeah. from the East Coast? Yeah, 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 I know him, yeah. Yeah, Owen four in the playoffs for the Maple Leafs, sorry. Owen four. You just got hey. fucking schooled, dude. <laughs> 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 uh, I think you, uh, you, you just took him, you just took Jared to Segunda. Yes, yeah. <laughs> You did take me to Segunda, that's right. <laughs> Suck on these nuts. Suck on these nuts. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing that your your disability has given you? It was a huge sense of drive at the end of the day. I mean, I was playing basketball in some towns, and I was getting booed by families and stuff, saying, oh, he can't play. And, like, they were chanting, take him off, because of my legs are a risk to people, right? Wow! wow. Well, that's fucking crazy. Holy shit! I would turn the intensity up to a hundred. Like I would drive the ball and I would throw my shoulder into people. I'd like shoot off people. I'd push my body off them and like force them to the floor. Like I would come into the game, you know, I'd be this and I'd sit in the corner. I'd shoot the three pointer and stuff. I would like play make. But what the second one person said, "Oh, he can't play," or started getting booed and shit on, I would go from zero to a hundred on seconds. Like yeah. The next possession down the court, I'm taking the ball on in the inbound. I'm a bigger guy, right? I'm a power forward, so I'm like almost the big guy. And I would bring the ball, but I would just start throwing my body around, like jumping off the side of people, pushing off people. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> I love it. That sounds. Like I love it. I, I can see how that would drive you. Also, yeah. that also that, those those towns and those families yelling that shit. That's, That's sounds scary. like something off of a. A fucking like HBO television show yeah. about like small time drama it's, yeah, or it's, small town drama. Or just yeah. like uh, maybe it's that's a, insane. Maybe it's like a one I tree hill it. episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I loved it. It fed me so much power. Like I would just get like I would go in the locker room and like I'd be the last one in. I would come in and just start screaming, "Let's fucking go!" And I'd be yeah. so loud that the parents would hear it. Like they would know that what they're yelling at me is firing me up, and they should probably stop doing it. <laughs> I love it. Mac, uh, this has been really fun. All all uh, technical issues aside, this has been a, a great conversation. So glad to have had you on the show. And uh, and thanks for taking time out of your day, your days uh, over the last few days um, to sit down and, and chat with us. It's been really fun. Yeah, guys, thanks for bringing me on and stuff. And like, thanks to CBC and stuff for hosting you guys and make sure we get this out there. I mean, there's a message that has to be shared and 
if it wasn't for you guys front running in Canada, I'm not sure we'd have someone like you guys running it. You know, I know there's little people, but you guys are really powering forward. So I appreciate what you guys are doing for everyone. And hopefully thanks. a lot of kids take it away from you. And hopefully a lot of people take no messages from us. Yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks, thanks. Dude. And, and, th- and thanks for adding that CBC thing that I had you, asked you to say before the <laughs> recording. That was really great. They're going to love that. They're going to love that. Uh, thanks a lot, dude. <laughs> take care, buddy. See you, buddy. There you have it, folks. Uh, that was our conversation with Mac. All, all two weeks of the conversation with Mac. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you should leave a rating and a review. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit the follow button. And of course, uh, we come at you three times a week. And on Fridays, we're over on YouTube, so you can. Head to YouTube, find Sick Boy, and be sure to subscribe and hit the bell icon so you know when we're putting those videos up. Uh, Other than that, if you would like to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you. Go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact to fill out the future guest form. And if you ever want to reach out to us for any reason whatsoever, let us know your thoughts. You can email us, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Sick Boy Podcast is produced by myself, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever. We are managed by Jeffrey Lonis. The theme music comes at you from Take Part and sound design from our friend over on PEI, Donovan, the CPAP Morgan. That is it for this week. I'm Taylor. (laughs) I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.